Welcome, you are listening to the Smoky Acres Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie, and today I have a little special bonus episode for you on spring foraging. Not to be confused with forging, which Kyle and I also do, like blacksmithing, but foraging for plants out in our woods here in Minnesota that we can go and gather in the spring and make delicious meals out of. It's something that Kyle and I have been really been getting into more and more every year. This past year, I think we've been even more excited about it because we discovered some things last year and even more this year, and we're really just excited to try some new things. So I just want to have this disclaimer that I am no expert, so when you're out in the woods looking for things, I recommend using identification books, using the internet as a resource, like credible sources to not just some blog post and not just some podcast hosts like me telling you about them. So make sure you are double checking what you are eating and the best way to prepare them so that you are not harming yourself or people that you're serving these things to. Most things or some, not most things, but some things should not be eaten raw So keep that in mind too, even if you're for sure about the identification about something, you might need to cook it beforehand. So just, I say, proceed with caution and you should have no trouble at all. I know it can be kind of intimidating to go out in the woods and trust your identification skills to find something and then consume it and hope that it goes well. Plus, just if you're not used to it, it can seem kind of weird to grab something that you see as just like a common weed or plant in the woods and then turn it into food for yourself. For Kyle and I, it's one of the most rewarding things to travel out into our woods just a little bit, pick some fiddleheads or some ramps or find a mushroom bring it back inside and cook it up for dinner with eggs that we have from our own chickens or a loaf of bread that I made. It's just like one of the most rewarding feelings to have food that's from our own backyard and from our own working hands and it's just such a good feeling. So I really highly encourage everyone to get out and explore your local forests and just try some new things because I think you'll really like it. And the reason I am doing this as a bonus episode is because I was thinking about doing it as an episode and I have a couple lined up now and realized by the time that this one would come out that we would already be into summer. I mean, today was already a really hot day out and I noticed a few mosquitoes. So we're heading into summer really fast and so a lot of these plants are on the end of the spring season for them and they won't be around much longer. And unfortunately for some of my friends that are down in the Twin Cities area in southern parts of Minnesota or in parts of Wisconsin, these plants are probably already past their season. Duluth is a little bit later and so we have some things that have just come up within the past week or two, uh, maybe have another week and then they'll be gone. So You can still, if you live in this area, you can still find some of these things, but maybe for next year you can keep your eye out now that you're going to be aware of them. The first thing that I wanted to talk about was ramps, is what Kyle and I call them. They can also be referred to as wild leeks or wood leeks or ramsum. They are part of the wild onion family um, because they do 
they are perennial that have a bulb forming on the end. And so, so to identify them, they are a broad, smooth, light green leaf. They grow in big clusters, sometimes little tiny small clusters, but it's really exciting when you come across a really big cluster. And I'll post a couple photos on Instagram as well of some of the clusters that we've come across. But they start in small clusters and then they grow outwards. And they have these light green, smooth leaves. And the base of them is kind of like a purple, burgundy tint. And then they have a little white bulb on the bottom. Now, when harvesting them, you want to try to harvest things in the most sustainable way possible. So Kyle and I actually don't harvest the bulbs at all. What we do is bring out scissors or we just pick the leaves and we cut them off or pull off the leaves, collect them in a bag, and just use those in our food. Because if you pull the bulb or if you're digging up all the bulbs, then they're not going to come back next year. It takes ramps a really long time to establish a good growing space. So if you go in there with a shovel and you just dig them all up, they won't be there next year. And our goal is that every year, Kyle and I will be able to go out in our woods, find ramps, and use them. So we are not in the business of digging them all up. You could pull maybe one or two if you're just kind of curious and want to try them from the outer ring because they do grow outward from that cluster. So if you are curious, I have done the same thing where I've just pulled like one or two just because I'm curious and wanted to try them. But for the most part, I just recommend eating the leaves. They taste just as good. They're kind of like, almost like a chive. So I use them in the same kind of way. Cut them up and put them in mashed potatoes, in pasta, in my scrambled eggs in the morning. I also chopped them up and put them in the bottom of an ice cube tray and then I poured olive oil in that ice cube tray and put them in my freezer and then I have these little cubes for cooking that I can just throw in my pan, they melt and it's like an infused olive oil and it's so delicious. I think that's kind of on the same premise of when people call, talk about ramp butter as well. I'm also thinking about I don't know if I should air dry them or put them in my dehydrator, but I want to try to dry some for cooking as well. I'm playing around with some things. We got so many this year. I was able to bring like a little bag to a couple family members as well. So that is one thing that they are pretty abundant when Kyle and I were driving on Wisconsin 35. Just the whole side of the road, like all along the hills there, were just completely covered in ramps, like huge fields of them. So... They're plenty abundant and I really recommend, they're so good, I recommend just going out for a walk in, on one of your local trails. I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Second, I want to talk about fiddleheads because that is another spring treasure that I know a lot of people already know about, but if you don't, it's definitely a little hidden gem. Taste-wise, they're kind of similar to like a mild asparagus and we actually prepare them essentially the same way as we would asparagus which asparagus is also another spring thing that you can find, although it's a little more difficult to find them. They're not as common as fiddleheads. So the first type of fiddlehead that you can eat that I want to talk about is the ostrich variety, which this is the one that you see people most commonly eating. They're those really tightly curled little fiddleheads with like a dark medium to dark green, and then they have like a U-shaped stem. So if you were to pull it and look at it, it's gonna dip in on one side and cave out the other way. So it has like a U-shaped stem. And then 
when they're in little clusters, you'll notice they're kind of in this like brown crust from last year. And you'll see the little green fiddleheads start to pop up. They have this papery, almost like the skin of an onion, this like orangey brown flaky skin on them or a husk almost that flakes right off when you touch it. But they grow in these tight little bunches and usually there can be anywhere from two in a little bunch to five in a little bunch um, and you just eat those tiny little curled up bunches. Once they get over about I would say maybe five to six inches then they're going to be too tall to eat or when they start unraveling that's a good sign that they're past the point of when you can eat them. So you really just want the nice tightly curled ones. So Kyle and I have tons of those on our property here. We have some that are around our fire pit area and we actually leave all of those because we want those to be nice big and full all year round and then we have some that are like lower down on our property and those are the ones that we harvest and again when taking those we don't take all three of them from a cluster we'll maybe just take one and then the next one if there's like four or five we'll take two off of that one but you do want to leave a couple behind so that that fern plant can be successful this year and grow fully and come back next year even better. So again, just being sustainable about the way that you pick them. The other kind of fiddlehead I want to talk about is the bracken variety, which I've heard that there's some controversy controversy with eating these because they are toxic when you, if you don't cook them. But with all fiddleheads, you want to cook them. So with the ostrich variety, we boil them or blanch them first and before putting them in a pan to fry them. And you can find any of these recipes online too. So make sure that you're just looking that up and look at the best ways that you can cook them. And there's so many different recipes out there too that I recommend just researching them. Um, but with the bracken variety, they're taller fiddleheads and they're the ones that have like these three little prongs that curl over. So instead of like one tight curl, it's like three little prongs that curl over and they are a little fuzzier, like almost like this like orangey colored fuzz on them. And like I said, you definitely don't want to eat this kind raw. You want to fully boil them or blanch them before you roast them or fry them or any of that. Again, just be cautious when you're eating them. They're both really good. They both have a similar flavor. And this year, we're actually going to try pickling some fiddleheads. So hopefully that goes as well. But I think that they'll turn out really well because pickled asparagus are really good. Types of fiddleheads you don't want to eat are the ones that with like almost really big hairs on them. So you'll see ones that have like these black hairs or black spikes on them. Um or ones with like lots of really white ones on them or if they're really tall you don't want to eat them there's lots of varieties of ferns out there so make sure that you are doing the proper identification watch some YouTube videos look up some credible sources online um, get a good identification book talk to some other people that you know in your life that have maybe been foraging for these things for a long time 
The next thing I want to talk about, which was one of our newest discoveries this year, is the harvesting of marshmallow golds, which are part of the buttercup family. And we've all seen these. They grow in like kind of marshy areas. And they're one of the flowers that actually grow can grow in water. So they're pretty easy to spot. You'll be in a swampy area. It'll be like the one bright yellow flower out there. And I found out this year that both the leaves and the stems are edible as long as you cook them. And then the flowers are actually really good if you cook them and then pickle them. But that's the only way you can consume them. Otherwise, they are toxic. You have to cook them and then you have to pickle them. So I think we harvested some marigolds and I think we're going to pickle those with some of our fiddleheads. And they'll make beautiful garnishes on salads and... I'm just kind of excited to see how that turns out. That's something we haven't tried yet. We just read all about it and decided that we wanted to try it. So we went out the other day and harvested those. And now that we're getting another rainy day ahead of us, we'll go and get those pickled and get the other things cooked and see how that goes. The next thing I want to talk about is the magical morel mushroom this rare unicorn of a mushroom that everyone tries so hard to find and I swear some people are just luckier than others. I have some people that I know who have looked forever and have never been able to find morels and then I have some friends where I swear they just fill buckets of them every single year and I don't know where they find them. Kyle and I went out looking on our own property and didn't have any luck. But last year, we had a couple morels just pop up in the middle of our yard, which is kind of crazy. So that is one thing that you either can find them or you can't. And I've heard so many different things from they grow under certain types of trees, like a dead elm tree, to they only grow on south sides of slopes, to they only grow just up from a riverbank, all sorts of things that I've heard, or on old cow pastures. Really, I think they can grow in a wide variety of spaces, and I don't have an abundance of information on morels. I just know when you find them, it's like finding gold, and they are so delicious. Just fry them up in a pan with some butter and some garlic, and you are golden. They are so good. So if you get lucky enough to find them and you don't like them, feel free to share them with me. Another mushroom that is common in the spring is the pheasant back, or I can't remember the name. It's something saddle, but I've heard it mostly referred to as the pheasant back mushroom. This is another one that I actually haven't tried, but I have seen a lot of people talking about it and finding them and they are kind of have the color of, well, you know, like a pheasant. So browns and tans and they're kind of like speckled almost. And they're kind of more like a shelf mushroom. But again, with mushrooms, if you pick the wrong one or eat the wrong one, it can be not good at all. So just make sure you have proper identification on all of these things. But the pheasant back is one that I really want to try because they can get pretty big. And so, I don't know, I like using mushrooms as like on burgers or almost like a mushroom steak. So, that is one that I am looking forward to trying in my future. 
Now, when looking up different things that are native to the area that grow and are edible, you'll be surprised about how many are just common weeds, like the dandelion. The dandelion is everywhere. We all have yards that are just full of dandelions. You see them on the side of the road. They are everywhere. And they have so many uses. You can use the greens in salads. You can use the greens when cooking. You can make teas. You can make wines. I see people make syrups and jellies and all sorts of things. So that is definitely like an underused weed, basically, that might have really good purposes. This year, that is something that I'm also trying, is I'm going to go out and harvest a bunch of dandelions and just experiment with them and see what I can do. And hopefully I can come up with something that's really great because they're so abundant. Why not get some sort of use out of them? Another thing that really surprised Kyle and I was hearing that stinging nettles have tons of uses. If you're familiar with stinging nettles, they are a pain in the butt. I mean, you don't want to touch them. They hurt so bad, as is the name, stinging nettles. But they consume Kyle's parents' property. They are everywhere. They pop up in their garden. They're all over their woods. And we were reading about how people actually use them. They cook them. They use them. There's something called like nettle beer, which like I haven't heard of any of this before. So I'm not one to give you lots of information on it. But that just really struck me that if they have this thing that has like taken over their property, they're constantly fighting it, that they could actually get some use out of. That is just so exciting to me to like take something that's a nuisance and make it useful. Other things that I read that are edible are milkweed which also milkweed is very great for butterflies. So I just recommend planting that if you have a yard in general. And of course, like red clovers and all sorts of flowers like violets and lilacs and all of those you can use as garnishes. You can make syrups and jellies and use them in teas. There's so many different varieties of flowers out there that are great in teas, all sorts of herbs. And a lot of these things too, you can plant in your own little, if you have just like a small space, you can put them in little containers, you can go plant them out in your yard and use them to make your own teas. And then that's more sustainable too, because you don't have the packaging for a tea. There are so many things out there that are edible and they're right at our fingertips. Not only is it more sustainable, but it's also just really fun to get out there. And although it takes some patience to walk around the woods and look for something and it's fun to do. Kyle and I have a really great time just spending time with each other looking for things and then coming inside and making something of it and we brought his niece out looking for ramps one day too and the moment we showed her what ramps were she was so good at identifying them almost better than we are and she had lots of fun too so it's just a fun thing to be able to pass on to others and I hope when she grows up she'll be able to share that with people maybe her kids or her nieces and nephews and it's just really exciting to take things that are in our environment and use them to their full potential but also using them to in a way that is sustainable and making our lives more sustainable as well. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode on 
spring foraging and maybe once summer comes and fall comes I'll do a little update episode on some of the some more of the things that you can find then and stay tuned for Monday when I release the episode on natural dyes and some just some life updates in the future you can also look forward to an interview that I did with Kyle where you can get to know him I'm also after that an episode on my garden and everything that's happening there I also want to do an episode on our goats and then I also did an interview with my little sister Ryan who just turned 18 so she's not so little anymore but I did an interview with her that I'll be releasing sometime in the future. So stay tuned. I have lots of good things coming up and have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye.